The reading is Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 to 7, and can be found on page 75 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back, and page numbers for those are on the screen. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, travelling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarrelled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel and he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Steph, thank you very much. It'll help you to keep that open. It, it is a strange story, isn't it? It's an unusual story. Uh, you might be wondering what we're going to be doing looking at it. I actually found this at the back. <laughs> Randomly, I did not bring it, but someone put it on the thing at the back there. I wondered if we could do a reenactment with the pool but I don't think it would uh, achieve very much, so we'll leave that there. So why are we looking at this strange story? Well, I thought we'd uh, look first at a picture which might start to help us uh, explain. It's this picture. It hangs in the National Portrait Gallery in London. It's called The Ambassadors, and it was painted by a guy called Hans Holbein. Um, And every detail of this picture is designed to make us realise the two men in the picture are the best of the best of the best. They are the cream of the crop. You couldn't live a life as noble and good and worthwhile as these guys lived. Uh, Their clothes are very dark. In those days, to dye clothes that dark was very expensive. So they are men of wealth. Uh, And they are young men. Uh, and strong men, their, their build shows them to be so. Um, they are on the top shelf, which you might not be able to see. There are all sorts of scientific instruments. These are men of terrific learning, who, who know how the world works and what it's all about. Uh, and then on the bottom shelf below, you might be able to see that there is a, a book there that's open with some poetry in it. There's a, a lute. Uh, they're men of the arts as well. So they're young, they're strong, uh, they are uh, rich, they are learned people. They have everything going for them, these guys. And every single detail in the picture, Holbein's trying to say, these are the cream of the crop. And yet, if you go to London and look at this picture, none of those things are the first thing you will notice. Because I've left a bit off the picture. When you go to London, this is what it looks like. And the thing that catches your eye is that sort of, can you see it at the bottom? Like a smudge or something. 
Uh, all the details so beautifully executed, and yet in the middle of it, there's this dirty great smudge at the bottom on the floor. But then if you just walk around the room a little bit, that smudge becomes clearer what it is. It's a very clever piece of art. If you look at 45 degrees, you see a skull. And that's the point he's making. doesn't matter how great your life is, how many wonderful achievements you have in your back pocket, how much you've learned, how many firsts and PhDs and whatever else you've got, death is like a dirty great smudge down the picture of your life. Well, you think, Tim, happy Christmas to you too. I mean, who wants to hear this? We've just had a wonderful, joyous celebration. But here's the question that Holbein's asking all of us. And here's the question that actually our passage is really all about. And the question is this. How do you find a life of lasting significance that death won't mess up? How do you find a life of lasting significance that goes beyond the grave? That's the question he's challenging us with. And that's actually the question in view in our passage. It was the question that day. You see, God's people, the Israelites, had just been rescued out of Egypt by mighty miracles done by God. And yet there they were, and verse 1 tells us they're in a desert. Bad news. And then later on in verse 1, we hear that there is no water for the people to drink. Death is hanging in the air like a smudge on a painting there. And it was a day they never forgot. Is my mic not working? I'll come through to this one. It was a day the Israelites never forgot. Death hung in the air and it was a day they never forgot. And as they look back on that day, there were three things that we're going to look at briefly that would have stuck in their minds. The rod, the rock, and the river. So let's just cast our mind back and imagine you were there that day with the Israelites in the deserts. You can feel the sand burning on the soles of your feet and in between your toes and your sandals. The sun is shimmering in the heat haze. A dirt-dry wind is whipping the moisture from your lips. You're thirsty. And in a desert, water is life. You can survive for a few days, maybe even a week without food, but in a desert without water, you can be dead in hours. And so no doubt these Israelites are in a tight spot in verse 1. And how are they going to react when they're in this tight spot? Well, they could have trusted God. That might sound ridiculous, but they, they really could have done. Because not too long ago, God had done ten mighty miracles to get them out of Egypt. He parted a sea that they could walk right through. And that very morning, their breakfast had fallen from the sky. So they could have trusted God. But look what they did instead. Verse 2. They quarreled with Moses 
and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt and make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. They quarreled. They put God to the test. They forget all the good things he might have done for them. And they said, God, we want you to do what we want, when we want, the way we want. And if you don't, we're done with you. We want nothing more to do with you. And this guy, Moses, you gave us to be our leader. We're going to kill him. It's a pretty ungrateful attitude, given all the good things God had done for them. The grumbling and the quarreling and the complaining. How does God react. Well, that's where our first R comes in, the rods. It brings us to verse 5. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. Some translations do say rods. Uh, And this was an important staff, an important uh, rod. It appears in Exodus a few times before this. You see, it's the instrument of God's judgment. When people have angered God through the way they have treated him or his people, whenever that happens, Moses picks up the staff. Uh, There was one time earlier on, and it makes reference to it here, where Moses picked up the staff and pointed it and put it in the water of the Nile. And the water turned to blood. A sign of God's judgment. Uh, There was another time when Moses took the staff and he pointed it at the ground. And it was filled with locusts. A sign of God's judgment. There was another time he pointed it at the sky. And hail came down. A sign of God's judgment. You see, whenever Moses picks up the staff, it's a sign that God's judgment is about to fall. And so do you see, when he picks up the staff in verse 5, when God says, take up the staff in your hand in verse 5, well, the people must have been terrified. Because they just grumbled and quarrelled, and argued, and not shown any thankfulness at all to God for what he'd done, but instead complained. They must have been terrified. Rachel made reference when she told us her story about the the standard of perfection that God requires, and she realised she couldn't meet it. Well, actually, the Bible says all of us treat God a little like the Israelites do here. We grumble when things don't go our way and we don't bother to stop and give him thanks when he does do kind things for us. And how does God react and and what does our behaviour deserve? Well, the rod here is a symbol that we deserve God's judgment to fall. In fact, the Bible says that's the very reason why there is any death in the world in the first place. Remember the picture we began with. Uh, The reason that dirty smudge is there on that painting Uh, The reason why the dirty smudge of death hovers over all of us is because of God's right judgment as our attitude toward him. Well, it's not a very happy picture, is it? But, actually, wonderfully, that's not the end of the story. Because we have verse 6. Now, verse 6 is a weird one because what you almost expect it to stay at that point is, I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb, take up your staff and strike the people down with it, for they have grumbled and quarreled and put me to the test. But it doesn't say that. 
Verse 6. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb, strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. This is our second R. We had the rod, now we've got the rock. And you've got to sort of see the picture. This is actually going to be quite a helpful prop now. I'll just try and raise my voice a bit. Moses is to stand there with the rod, with the staff. And on one side over here, you've got the grumbling Israelites, worthy of judgment. And on the other side over here, you've got the rock. And God says, I'll stand on the rock. And Moses, you take up the staff like this. And that's a sign, judgment. (laughs) Appropriate. Judgment is going to fall. But instead of striking the people over here, who deserved it, God says the judgment is going to fall that way. Strike the rock. And just look at verse 6 again. What's special about the rock? I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. God says, yes, this attitude does deserve judgment. But if there is judgment to fall, it's not going to fall on the people. It's going to fall on God. He is going to take the judgment instead. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful picture of the gospel that these five guys have all professed to believe, have all told us their story about. The idea that their sin needs paying for. But wonderfully, they've come to realize that they don't have to pay for it themselves. Because God himself says, I will pay it. I will bear the judgment instead. We're coming up to Christmas. Sorry if that comes as a surprise to anyone. But the reason it's such a big deal, the reason Christians have been celebrating it for thousands of years is because that's when God came. And that's when God said, I am coming as Jesus to take the judgment instead of you. That's what it means. That's the story that these five guys have told. The rod, uh, the rock, but that's not even the end of the story. Verse seven, uh, no, verse six again, sorry. Because after he strikes the rock, water flows out. Those thirsty people in a desert needing water to live. And here it comes out. The life they need. And God says, I'll take the judgment you deserve and I'll pour out the life you need. There's a rod, there's a rock, and then there's a river. And the river symbolizes the life God wants to pour upon us and bless us with. You know... I said the Israelites never forgot this day. Even to this day, they still celebrate these days when they wandered in the desert. They they call it Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, when they remember their their time wandering uh, in the desert. And and they celebrated it every year like clockwork. And about 2,000 years later, uh, they were celebrating it, and Jesus was there. Now, when they do, it's a big party. 
you know, there's water everywhere now because they're all settled in their own promised land and they're having food and drink and all of it. And in the middle of this party, when they were celebrating the greatest day of the party, Jesus got up when they were remembering these events. And he said, if anyone's thirsty, Jesus, it's a party. There's food and drink everywhere. But Jesus knows that actually our thirst runs deeper than water. We we thirst for meaning and significance. We thirst for a life that will last beyond the grave. And we know that all the money in the world and all the experiences in the world and all the other things we could stack up, they don't quite ever fully satisfy. In France in the uh, 18th century, they had the court at Versailles, one of the wealthiest, richest, most opulent places in all of human history. Uh, And the queen of the court was Marie Antoinette. And she experienced the finest of everything. And famously, she said, after it all, nothing tastes. Maybe that's been your experience that actually you've seen the best life has to offer, but you realise that's not what you're looking for deep down. That's not where final fulfilment lasts. Maybe you feel that smudge, that shadow of death, and realise that what's the point of it all? Well, this river tells us that God can provide a life that lasts beyond that. Jesus claimed, if anyone is thirsty, come to me, he said, and drink. And these guys can tell you, go and ask them later. Uh, And any other Christian can tell you that there's great truth in what Jesus says. Uh, When you come to accept his rule over your life, when you come to accept what he's done for you, bearing the judgment in your place, you realise that he pours out blessings on you right here, right now. He does. The blessing of of pardon. You know that you're forgiven for your sins, and that's a wonderful blessing. The the blessing of purpose. You kind of realise that life's about something bigger than me. It's about him and his kingdom and what he's doing. There's the blessing of of power that God the Holy Spirit comes to live in the heart of a Christian by faith and give them strength to fight sin and change and grow. There's the blessing of provision that you, you know your heavenly Father's got your back. He meets your needs day by day. I think it was Rob who was saying something about that. The blessing of partnership that we all belong to a church family together. They are wonderful blessings that come to all those who put their faith in Jesus. But even more wonderfully, the promise of the gospel is this. Those blessings won't stop with death. Jesus did die to take the judgment we deserve, but he rose again to show that death is not the end. There is life beyond the grave. And he calls us to enjoy it with him in all its fullness. A life death cannot snatch away. A life all those baptised today have found in Jesus. The one who bears our judgments and pours out abundant life. How are we going to respond to that kind of an offer? I wonder how they responded that day, back in the desert. Do you think any of them, when the water started flowing out of the rock, do you think any of them were worried about their intellectual objections? 
<laughs> Water from a rock? Quite impossible. Not scientific at all. I'm not going anywhere near it. Or do you think any of them said, well, that water may be true for you and good for you, but I'm not going to have anything to do with it. No, they ran, didn't they? They went straight to it because it was life. We're coming up to Christmas, like I've said, and churches, we have loads of events going on, churches around have loads of events going on, and that's the message they're going to be sharing, the good news of the gospel. Don't let your intellectual objections or anything else get in the way. Fly there this Christmas. Hear more about this offer of abundant life that Jesus gives. They flew to the rock. We should too. Come back next week. It'll be packed out. Chance to sing some carols. But more importantly, to hear more of this Jesus and the life he offers us. There is a rod. God is a judge. And we deserve judgment. We have to accept that. But there is a rock, the Lord Jesus, who will stand in our place and take that judgment. And wonderfully, there's a river. Because the promise is abundant life for all who will come to him. Let me pray. Father God, we give you thanks once more for the five who've been baptised. We give you thanks for the way you've worked in their life, the way they have seen the offer of salvation Jesus gives. They've found him to be the water of life that quenches their thirst. We thank you. It was your plan. Centuries earlier, even in Exodus, you were giving us an echo. We thank you for all the ways in which we'll be able to look at that plan coming to its fulfillment in Jesus over the coming weeks. But we pray for all of us here, whoever we are, whether we've been a Christian for a long time or uh, just coming to faith or maybe we've never really thought about Jesus before. Whoever we are, let us fly to the rock and drink. Let us fly to Jesus this Christmas. Let us remind ourselves, if we are Christians, of what he provides for our souls. And Lord, if, if there are some tonight who have not yet found this water of life, we pray you'd be opening their eyes to see that it's there and it's free and it's on offer and it's available. And we pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.